Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The king said to Nehemiah, what is your request? And what's Nehemiah's knee-jerk response? So I prayed to the God of heaven, right? The king on earth said, what do you want? He went to the king of kings first. That is so important that he didn't look to the king with all the authority that the king possessed. He's like, you don't really have all the authority. And it's not really you that I need to convince. I got here praying. I've been praying for four months. I got here talking to the king, the one that's above you. In today's message, Pastor Bill is going to continue through the book of Nehemiah. You will get to watch as Nehemiah gains unprecedented favor with the king. But through all of that, Nehemiah never forgets who the true king is. He continues to present his request to God in faith that he is the one who answers prayers. It's easy to remember to ask God for things when nothing is going right and you're in real need. But what will you do when things start going right? Don't forget who the real king is. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Well, brief recap, we started the book of Nehemiah. Um, we looked at kind of the burden that he had. Nehemiah uh, is, you know, living in the palace. He's got a pretty cush job. What was Nehemiah's job? We'll talk. He was a cupbearer for the king. We'll talk more about that today. But some of his uh, some of his people came, you know, back from hometown, his hometown. And he asked them, "Hey, how are things going at home?" Remember the Jews for the history. They have been exiled for their disobedience to God. And after 70 years of being, you know, taken captive in Babylon, they were released to go back home. A small percentage of them even went back from Babylon back home, back to Judah. But when they got there, the place was in ruins. The walls were burned down with fire. The people were discouraged. There was just a few people, no resources, no money. And it's like the heart was sucked out of them. And so when Nehemiah said, hey, how's it going? And he got this terrible report. Man, it's terrible. The people are in disrepair. They're no longer worshiping Jehovah. The walls are torn down. Everything he heard, it just broke him. And he was burdened about what he heard. What did that burden cause him to do? Cause him to pray. It was not just prayer. He did something along with the prayer. Fasted and prayed. So that's important, right? His burden led him to pray and fast and he was, I mean, he wept over this. He was genuinely concerned that God's people and God's place was, it was in a mess. He had a heart for what God has a heart for. And I challenge us to consider if there's a burden that you have, that there's, some, if there's something in your heart that's burdened and, it's, it, it, and it lines up with God. Are you, do you have a burden in your heart that, is, that, is, that God would agree with? I, God, I care about something that you care about. There's something I see that's wrong, and I, I know you see it the same way I do. Because we can, we can be excited about things that don't matter. But when we get burdened in our heart for things that, that God is like, yeah, I care about that too. Now we're on to something because now you can start praying to God for stuff that God wants to do already. And, and that can put us in a place where we can begin to see God work supernaturally, which, which is what we're going to see today. So picking up at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. So let me stop there. First, we get some dates. 
These dates are important for one thing. They show us something. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 1, it says it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. So we know we're in the same year. We're, this is what we find out. We're four months down the road. This is the only, this is why I think that's here. So we, would, we can measure this. Nehemiah has been praying about this for four months. I want us to know that because sometimes we start praying about something and maybe you intensely are praying on Monday about it. And Tuesday, you might remember to pray about it once or twice. Wednesday, you might forget. And Thursday, you remember again. And then it goes to the wayside and you think you really put in. I prayed and God didn't do nothing. I just want to, I want to show us how to really do the thing. And sometimes God has us to wait. Now, I, I cannot explain why. I cannot give you guys an answer for why didn't God respond immediately. I can't answer any of that. But I will say this, that God does something in our hearts while we wait. Uh, many times while we're waiting and we're seeking and we're praying, God, there's a reason why God sometimes will respond right away. And sometimes God says, I'm going to let this, I want this to marinate. I want you to continue to pray about this. He's been praying for four months. He's been consistently going before the Lord about this thing. And then it says, when wine was before the king, that he took the wine and he gave it to the king. Now, Remember, he was the king's cupbearer. And I want to say a little bit more about that because it's a pretty important job. Uh, it said something about Nehemiah's character already because if you're the king in this kind of culture, people would want to kill the king because that's how they get rid of a king to bring somebody else in. So one way that they had found to kill kings back then was to poison them. So imagine if you're a king, you got a kingdom, you got all this food that you eat, you feed all these people, you got cooks. And all these different people going on, all you need is somebody on the inside to defect to the other side. Somebody get in the ear of one of your cooks and say, hey, man, I'll give you a really good job if you slide this in the king's burger. And then when he die, I got you on the other side. Um, I just want you to understand the temptation it might have been to people in that time. Um, slide something in his food, drop something in his drink. And so what kings that come up with was, well, I'm going to get a cupbearer. And my cupbearer, he's going to taste stuff before me. He's going to taste my food. He's going to taste my drink before I do. So it's kind of a dangerous job, but it also says that this, you would only give that job to somebody very trustworthy. Amen. I mean, if you had to pick somebody, you say, I'm going to trust my life with this guy. I mean, this guy, because if the cupbearer goes bad, you're done. If they could persuade your cupbearer, hey, man, look, just give him this drink. You know, you sip it on the side, give it to the king. It's going to be great. I got a job for you afterward. Easy money. Um, so you needed a man of character. You need somebody that wouldn't be easily bought. I just want to point that out. That's Nehemiah's character. Though he's a man of God, this is a, a secular pagan king, but he respects him and regards him highly in that way. So we know that much about him. You don't get the job of a cupbearer if you're a shady character, if you got bad reputation, if you if you slipping and sliding, you don't get to be the king's cupbearer. We got that? So we got that part of, of Nehemiah's character from just the fact that he has that job. But it says this. He says, now I had never been sad before the king before in the presence of the king. Now, this is another thing that it doesn't really, we don't understand it the way they would have understood it at that time. It tells me that Nehemiah, you know, you might read it on the surface and say, oh, wow, Nehemiah was, maybe he was normally a jovial, happy guy. That's not what it's saying. It's saying this. It was actually, it would it could actually be tr trouble to you if you were sad in front of the king. Uh, in that culture, the kings felt like they were such a big deal that when you got into the presence of the king, everybody should be jovial and full of joy. And if you showed up 
in the presence of the king acting solemn and sad, it could be seen as disrespect, uh, with which in that culture, the king could just say, off with your head. And that was it, you know. Um, also, it could be misread, your sadness, your solemnness, when you're the king's cupbearer. It could be read as though, man, something's not right. This is not normal. Normally he's like this. Today he's like that. Did he eat something, drink something bad? Is he thinking something different? It just was a dangerous thing to not be steady uh, in front of the king. And so he said, look, I had never been like this in the presence of the king. This burden that Nehemiah had, had, had kind of, it's welled up to the point now where he's wearing it. And so, and some of you may know that, right? Some people wear their emotions on their, on their sleeve anyway. But some of us do a better job of holding it together. So there are some people that, you know, they hold it together pretty well. But, you know, imagine, you know, I, I would imagine Nehemiah, because of the job that he had, he was a guy that probably held it together pretty well most of the time, but not this day. This day, whatever was going on in his heart had welled up and it was, he was wearing it on his face. And the king picked up on it right away. It says in verse 3, it says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad uh, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So the king notices what's wrong, says, Hey, man, what's going on? This is, this is sorrow. The king makes a judgment. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And he asks, What is going on? The last part of verse 2 says, so I became dreadfully afraid because the king noticing your sadness could mean your life. And so he's like, oh, man, I done messed up. He didn't mean to wear it on his face. That's important, right? Nehemiah didn't go down before the king and say, I'm going to pout and sulk today, see if I can get the king to do what I want. That's not how it works. Um, he wasn't out here manipulating things. When the king said, hey, man, what's going on? You look different. He was dreadfully afraid because he knew this could be trouble for me. Now we're going to learn something I believe is really important from Nehemiah. Look at verse 3. It says, and he said to the king, may the king live forever. That's kind of what they would say to the king. That was, uh, that was given honor to the king. Um, and I, when you say may the king live forever, it's like, look, I'm, I want you to live and not die. So there's, there's, there's a little bit of, 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 of um, what do you call that, etiquette there. Uh, it says, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. So he gives the king an answer. He does something I think is really wise, right? He doesn't say where yet. He didn't say Jerusalem because that wouldn't have fared well initially with the king because for him in Jerusalem, to his kingdom, there were, there were rebels. There were people that were rebellious to his kingdom. So he said, my father's house, my, my, my hometown. You know, my, my heritage, my family, he went that route. And I, I think there was wisdom there in not saying too much, but he said enough. He gave an answer to the king immediately for why he looked that way. He says, look, you know, um, why should my face not be sad? The city, the place of my father's tombs lies in waits and the gates are burned with fire. So he gives an answer to the king. And in verse four, then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I love this. It says, the king said to Nehemiah, what do you want? And I first want you to know that that's a strange response to what just happened, right? Nehemiah sad before the king. The king said, what's going on? Why you look sad? Nehemiah said, my father's house lies in ruin. How could I not be sad? And the king's response to that is, what is your request? It would seem to me, if I, if I walked up on someone and said, hey, what's wrong? And you said, oh, man, my, you know, my, 
my country is, you know, my country got bombed or, you know, my dad's country or my, my, the, the country I came from, you know, had a tsunami or something. It just bummed me out. I saw it on the news. I would say, wow, that's pray for you then, you know. Um, but he says, well, what do you want? There's like somehow he interpreted this as what is it that you want from me? And this now is an open door for him to ask for anything he wants. The king has asked you, what do you want? But I want you to note the wisdom. The king said to Nehemiah, what is your request? And what's Nehemiah's knee-jerk response? So I prayed to the God of heaven, right? The king on earth said, what do you want? He went to the king of kings first. That is so important that he didn't look to the king with all the authority that the king possessed. He's like, you don't really have all the authority. And it's not really you that I need to convince. I got here praying. I've been praying for four months. I got here talking to the king, the one that's above you. And now that you ask me what to do, he, his knee-jerk response was to pray. This gives us a little insight about prayer. Sometimes you can pray on your knees, on your face, and quiet, you know, to the Lord. This prayer here happened with somebody in his face. So there can be times where you're in a situation and somebody can be right in your face asking you a question. You can just, I don't think he said, King, give me just a minute. Let me give me, let me well, I don't think he did that. I think right where he was. He just, in his, in his heart and his mind, began to commune with the Lord, began to ask God, what do I ask? I got, I got an open door. You know, what do I do with this opportunity, Lord? He asked God right away. I would challenge you. Is One, is it your knee-jerk response to pray when things happen? But number two, when people that seem to have authority, when people that seem to be important, um, you're in their presence and they ask you things, are you aware that they're not the authority, that they're not it, that there's a rung above them that you can go to? Um, there's a verse that I love. It says in um, Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says that the hearts of the kings are in his hands and like the rivers of water, he turns them wherever he wishes. Proverbs 21, verse 1, God says, look, the, the king's heart is in my hand. I'm the one that directs the king what he's going to do. And I know for me, it's been a real liberating truth to realize that there's never a person that's in authority over me because God is the authority over me. There may be people in position over me. There may be people that have a place, but God is ultimately the authority. And so I can always look above other people's heads right to the Lord. Amen? It means I don't have to succumb to pressures of other people. I just can look to the Lord. So he, he prays to the God of heaven. Asking him, you know, I believe asking what he should do with this opportunity. Um, and this is what he does afterwards. Verse five, he makes his request. And he, he's going to ask for three things from verses. I'm going to read verses five through eight. And I'll just tell you up front, the three things he asks for, he's going to ask to be sent to rebuild. He's going to ask to be kept safe uh, on the journey. And he's going to ask for provision. Those are the three things that he's getting ready to ask for. And I, I just note the wisdom. That's everything he needs to see the walls rebuilt. First, I need permission to go. And not just to go, but to go. I'm going on a mission. I'm going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I need permission to go do that. Then I need you to give me protection because I can't just walk through some of this enemy territory. I need you to send me with people that are going to protect me on the journey. And I'm just a cupbearer, so I need provisions. And so if, you, if, if it all goes well, this pagan king and his kingdom are going to pay for God's kingdoms to be rebuilt. Um, 
which is amazing if this goes through. This is the request that he's going to ask. So now look at verse uh, 5. It says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you, number one, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. That's the first request. Verse 6, then the king said to me, and it, it notes the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And I, I want to point this out. The fact that it's noting this, that it's the king and the queen sitting next to him, they're comfortable with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not like just some out. They're comfortable with him. The king is there with his queen present, having this conversation with him. They're comfortable with Nehemiah. So the queen sitting beside him and says, how long will your journey be? And when, when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set a time, verse seven. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, this is the second request. Let letters be given to me for the governor's of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. So the king has to send him letters saying on, on his name, let this guy have passage. Let him go through until he gets to Judah. And then number three, verse eight, and a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, this is an amazing thing that he asked this king, right? He says, give me permission to go build. This is why that's a big request. Because Nehemiah had an important job. Who's going to be his cupbearer to Nehemiah gets back? They obviously trust him. He's obviously doing a great job. And letting him go meant for the king I'm I'm doing you a favor. I care about you. I'm letting you go and I'm putting myself at risk to do it. I got to bring someone else in, hope that I can trust them like I can trust you. That's why the first request is a big deal. And the king said, well, tell me how long you're going to be gone. Nehemiah set a date, doesn't tell us what it is yet, but he sets a time and he gets permission to go. After getting permission for the first thing, he has two more requests. He realizes that, look, I got to pass through area that's not going to be friendly everywhere, but the king has authority and power, so I need the king to give me some of his authority and power. Give me passage. That means he wants protection. I want, I want permission to go. I want protection as I go. And he says, then when I, I need timber. So I need you to tell the people that you get your wood from to give me enough wood to build the walls, beams to rebuild the city, uh, wood for the walls, and I'm going to build me a house to live in while I'm down there. I need some house to build me a house too. Um, now, this is what I think is so cool. Would you guys agree that that's a pretty, that's a well thought out plan of prayer? And it's possible that God gave that to him when he took a moment to say, Lord, what do I, what do I ask for? That the Lord may have just given him in that moment right there. Just don't, don't waste this opportunity, brother. Don't, 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 don't ask for the wrong thing. Don't ask for too little. This is what you need. Um, him asking God, I think he, he had the right request. He made the best of the opportunity that he had and everything that he asked for, he got, it says, and the king granted them to me and notice that he says, according to the good hand of my God upon me, Nehemiah knows why the king is having favor upon him. It's because of the Lord. It's because of the good hand of his God upon him. So a few verses I would like you to write down. This is just in regard to our prayer life in John 16, 23 and 24. It says, Jesus said, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 
Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, a lot of times people misunderstand these verses and they just tag their prayers within Jesus' name. Like I asked it in Jesus' name. Um, But can I tell you that it's more than that? It's not just you can't ask for whatever you want and tag in Jesus' name. The fact that you're saying in Jesus' name, you're saying I'm, I'm asking this, this I'm, I'm coming in line with Jesus and I'm tapping into Jesus' authority. And so when I say in Jesus' name, I'm saying in keeping with the will of Jesus, I'm asking for this. Um, and so you can't ask for something in Jesus' name that's not his will. So if you do, you go, your prayer is going to hit the ceilings and you're going to be like, I, I, some people think it's like saying abracadabra, you know, in Jesus name, abracadabra, like that, like there. Uh, and that's that's not what it is. And so uh, another verse in James, James 4, 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. James says you ask and you don't get answers because you asking just for your own pleasures, your own stuff. You asking for the wrong stuff. Understand this about prayer. Prayer, the the goal of prayer is not for you and me to get our will done on earth. Prayer is that God's will would be accomplished. So our knowledge of the scriptures will will greatly enhance our prayer life because my knowledge of the scriptures will inform me what God wants. Um, It will align my heart with what God wants. And then I begin to ask for things that God wants. Nehemiah knew that the walls were supposed to be rebuilt. It had been prophesied that they would be. Um, Daniel gave a prophecy about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And this is, you know, I, don't, I didn't want to go into this. It's a, a really interesting prophetic nugget. If you're into that, if you're a note taker, you can write down Daniel 9, 25. And there it says, know therefore the, and, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem, which just happened as he got permission to do it, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, uh, which is exactly 173,880 days if you do the math. Um, from the time that that command went to the time that Jesus entered Jerusalem, that, that's the exact stretch of those days. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy it, Exactly. So so him just getting permission here to do something that Nehemiah knew this was God's will and he was asking for what God wanted. And so that's something for you and me to consider. Right. Are you praying? What are you praying about praying for that? You know, I know God wants to do this. I know this thing that I'm asking God for this thing that I'm, I'm giving to prayer. I know that I'm tapping into what God wants as I'm praying for this, because a lot of times people use prayer. Prayer can be like our wish list. It could be like a kid's Christmas list. Lord, I want this. I want that. I want a better job, a nice car, a spouse, a better spouse, uh, you know, whatever. I want you to fix this, heal that, deliver this. And it, it, that's prayer can be a whole list of things that we just want. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for lifting up our own requests, needs and desires. Um, but if you remember that the goal of prayer is to get God's will done. That should permeate my prayer life. I should be praying about stuff that the kingdom cares about. I should be praying about things that have eternal weight to them, things that God's like, oh, yeah, I'm into that. I want want them to be saved too. I want doors to be opened there as well. I want to see the Lord do a work there. I want to be, you know, I want to plan a work there as well. There are things that we can know intuitively. I know God would be into that right here. I can pray full of faith 
in Jesus' name, absolutely, he would want to do that. So we want to let that influence how we pray, how we come before the Lord. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem and saw all the work that he needed to do, he knew just how to motivate the people to get on board with his plan. Read with me in Nehemiah 2, verses 17 through 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Do your hands need strengthening for the work in front of you? Look no further than the hand of God. Remember his faithfulness in everything that he has done. But none of us were ever meant to do this alone. Are you looking for a community where you'll be supported and loved? Then come see us at Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Let's rise up together. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. There you'll find everything you need to know and a lot of bonus material for your personal study. For those of you further away, come be in virtual community with us through Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We live stream our Sunday services. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together today. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come again to A Transforming Word.